0: It is a very good evening here at the Lakeside Church of Christ, and I am so blessed to be able to stand before you all and to break the bread of life, to open God's Word and to to look into it, to discover the truths that are found therein. I would like if, if you would already be opening up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, Matthew chapter 28 starting in verse 20, and we'll be reading from there in just a moment. I'm so, again, just blessed and encouraged by you all being here. It means so much to me. All the visitors that are out, including my own dear aunt, whom I love so much. Um, just just so excited. So, I cannot express enough how much I appreciate each and every one of you and all the things that you've done and, and all the small encouragements, small and large, and, and everything that you've done. Every small gesture has been so amazing. Thank you all. You know, I usually begin every one of my lessons with, You know, some kind of personal anecdote. You guys have probably become familiar with that pattern up till this point. But for a lesson like this, you already know the story if you've been here at Lakeside. You already know the story that I would tell to correspond to this lesson. Because you've been there. You've been there every step of the way since I first darkened the door of this church building. And I appreciate you all so much for all that you've done. I would not be half the man that I am now if not for all of you. I love you all so much. Thank you. I've been blessed by you. I've been encouraged by you. You've taken me in and treated me as family. And I thank you all so much for that. Every small handshake in the foyer, every how you doing, every meal, every advice, every rebuke, everything. I thank you so much for it. And now my time in this training program is winding down to an end and it's wearing thin. But I just appreciate you all so much for that. That we could all edify each other and grow in the admonition of the Lord. And I know here at Lakeside that the Lord is with us. That he's working with us as we labor. And that is that is amazing to me. And it has encouraged me on. And everything that I am, I owe so much of that to you guys to this day. God, God is certainly with us here. After all, God has been with us since the very beginning. You know, when We talk about Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And we kind of all accept that as like, yeah, 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 obviously. And it becomes just this... Basic, rote thing. Yeah, God created everything. But but God was there. God was there in the very beginning. And Jesus was there with him. We read about that in John chapter 1. And then we read about how God continually was there. God was there in the days of Noah when the world had become so wicked. And there was but few righteous remaining, just Noah and his family, to be delivered. When there was only one person that would hear him, God was still there. We read about how God was there with Abraham... How he called him out to go and find the promised land. We read about how God was with his son Isaac. How he was with Jacob. He appeared to him in a dream and told him, I'm with you. We read about Moses and how God was with him as he led the charge of the people out from Egyptian captivity. We read about Joshua, how God was with Joshua as they were out conquering the land and they were. They were clearing the land out for, for the promised land. We read about how God was with the judges even though times became hard for the people of God and, and they remain, God remained with them then. He, began, he kept working with them. We read about how God was there with David and his son Solomon. How David spoke to Solomon and said that God is with us. We read about how God was with all the prophets in Jeremiah. How God carried them all and, and he helped them through the persecution that they faced for bearing the name of God and for Continuing and, and laboring in his work. And we read about how God was there with the remnant. With, with the final, the, the last bit of the southern kingdom that were in captivity. Carrying them until he could fulfill all of his promises to them. And we read about in the beginning of Matthew in chapter 1 and verse 23. About how God is with us even today in Jesus Christ. People have asked me all the time in my evangelistic efforts. They say things like this to me. They say, Came You know, I'd really like to believe in God. I really would. It would be comforting. It would bring me so much joy to believe there was some loving force that was driving me, that that was rooting for me, that wanted me to to be redeemed and blessed and all these things that you're saying. But I just need evidence. I just need proof. I just need to see. I just can't accept it on blind faith. Well, real faith isn't blind. Real faith knows that, that God came here to this earth. Emmanuel is true, that that is the name of Jesus that He was here and He was with us. To those people I say, evidence, you want evidence. Well, how about God physically manifesting Himself in the body of a human? How about God giving up all the treasures and the joys of heaven, coming to walk on the very same soil that we walk upon? How about God dealing with all the pain and the doubt and the suffering that we deal with on a daily basis? How about a man who willingly gave his life For you, a complete stranger, one who who would scoff at him. Would that be evidence enough to you that there's something greater than yourself? I say yes. Jesus, Jesus was that man. Jesus was that evidence. Jesus, he was the perfect picture of righteousness and he remains the perfect picture of righteousness. His disciples saw that. They sat with him, they ate with him, they talked with him, they sat at his feet and heard him preach. And as a result of this, the religious leaders in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 saw that the disciples had been exposed to Jesus, that they were with Jesus. They said in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, They perceived the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That is the preaching theme of this year, and I'm making my contribution now. Just at the very tail end, getting it in. So, Jesus remained there with his disciples, even after he had gone home, up to heaven. But the presence of Jesus was unmistakable in the hearts and in the minds of the disciples as they interacted with others. Yes, he did ascend up to heaven. Yes, he did physically leave them, but he was still with them. He still remained there with him In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, which we have opened our Bibles up to in the beginning. Jesus said here before he ascended up to heaven and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We can trust Jesus word. We can trust Jesus word because he was faithful and trustworthy. He showed us again and again that he was a man of his word, that he followed through with his promises. And he was perfect in ways that we cannot even compare to. Jesus physically left, but he never left his disciples spiritually. They had much to deal with. They had much suffering coming. And he knew that. And that is why he left them with these words. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. He was saying, I'm going to be with you through everything, even through the suffering that was about to come. And the suffering was about to come. If you're familiar with your New Testament, you know. You know that that Jesus is going to have to take people through a lot. A lot. Behold, I am with you through persecution, temptations, and through trials. And first and foremost, there was a lot of persecution going on then. There was plenty of persecution going on to the Christians in the New Testament age. If you'll turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, we're going to read about that. 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. You will be persecuted as a Christian. You will be. And if you're not, you're doing something wrong. You can't remember the last time you were persecuted? You're not stepping out in faith. It's plain and simple. And Paul will, Paul will agree with me here. Paul's words to a young evangelist like myself, Timothy, Paul said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you desire to live a godly life, if you desire to live your life in the light following after the pattern of Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer for it. It's going to come. You know, these brethren in the New Testament, they were mocked. They were insulted, they were beaten, they were whipped, they were separated from their families, they were burned to death, they were ripped to pieces, and they were ultimately crucified and executed, beheaded. The list goes on and on. That's the persecution that they had to face. And yet they continue to step out in faith again and again. Praise God that we do not have to endure those kinds of things. What do we fear? What stops us from stepping out in faith? What stops us from being evangelistic, from being prayerful, from... from inviting people to come to church what stops us from that what stops us from calling out sin we're afraid of getting mocked we're afraid of insults rejection things like that and those things are valid they do hurt but we ought to count our blessings that we don't endure the persecution that they dealt with back then and if and if we ever did come to a point where that was the persecution that we had to face that it was if you come to church there's a good chance that somebody's going to come in and drag you off in chains and fetters That you're more than willing to do that for Jesus Christ. Nobody should have to prod you. No one should have to drag you to come to worship. Nobody should have to encourage you to to do the basic essentials of things that are right. You should just want to. You should want to so bad that you would die for it. And be willing to be persecuted for it. We need to be ready for that mentally. We need to be in that place. And if we're not there, we need to get there. Turn with me to John chapter 3 now. John chapter 3. No matter what, we're going to be persecuted in some way. And the answer to the question here is in John chapter 3. We're starting in verse 19. Why does this happen? Why are we persecuted? Why is a godly person persecuted so heavily? John chapter 3 and verse 19. Read with me now. John chapter 3 starting in verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light, that being Jesus, has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Why was Jesus treated so harshly? Seriously. We like to think if Jesus were here today, that we would all be shaking his hand, embracing him, loving him. I hear a lot of people say things like, I'd love to sit down with Jesus. I'd love to just have a talk with him. But my question is, would you? Because there's a good chance that he might point out some things that are wrong in your life. There's a, good thing that, there's a good chance that he might challenge you. There's a good thing that his very presence might make you feel uncomfortable because of how perfect and good he is. And that's what happened. That's what happened to these people. They, Jesus, the light, came into the world and exposed all the darkness. He lit it all up for everyone to see, and they hated that. They couldn't stand it. You want to know why they couldn't stand it? Because they were idolaters. It was about I. It was about me. And then when me was under attack, all of a sudden they felt the need to lash back and lash out. And that's what we see in the world, isn't it? We're called to be like Jesus. We're called to expose the darkness. Accepting and embracing Jesus would mean... That we we see the darkness within ourselves, we see the idolater within ourselves, and we cast it aside. And that's the attitude that's necessary to accept the light and to not lash out at it, hate it. But that's what we can expect if we're following the pattern of Jesus. That those that are in the dark, they'll not want to hear what we have to say, they will reject us. They'll mock us, they'll insult us, they may even physically harm us for talking about the word of God. But we need not be ashamed because Matthew chapter five now, Matthew chapter five, starting in verse three, knowing this, Jesus warned his disciples of the coming persecutions and he prepared them with these kinds of teachings. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse three, and we're going to go down to verse 10. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why so blessed? Why so blessed? Can you tell me? Why is it so blessed for us to be poor? Why is it so blessed for us to mourn, to be meek, to be hungry and thirsty, to show mercy, to be pure, to make peace, to be persecuted? Why does it have to be this way? Because now in verse 11, because it's evidence that we're following the pattern of the holy men of God before us, verse 11 and 12 now. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What's the job of a prophet? It's a hard job. Back in the Old Testament, the prophets would come forth and they would say terrible admonitions, terrifying warnings about what was to come. People didn't receive this well. It wasn't pleasant to their ears. It wasn't what they wanted to hear. It was what they needed to hear. And as a result, they were reviled. They were persecuted we see the same thing with jesus the ultimate culmination of all prophecy So what can we expect our job is to expose the unfruitful works of darkness If we're if we're not doing that we won't be persecuted if we are we're going to have some backlash that's for certain That means what we're going to do is we're going to call out sin We're going to call sinners to repentance. We can do that in a spirit of gentleness, of course But that means that we're going to expose people and we're going to point out things that are false and that aren't true and that are things that are violent and things that that are destructive and things that are sinful. And when we do that, it can cause backlash and it can cause persecution. After all, that's the pattern that we see again and again with all the prophets and of Christ and of all the Christians that proceeded after Christ ascended up to heaven is that they were persecuted for doing what is right. You're doing what's right. That's what you can expect. We are going to be persecuted by those that are drowning in their sin and that are sin sick. But when we do that, we must be careful that we too are not tempted because we're subject to our own temptations as well, aren't we? We will be persecuted by men, but we will also be tempted by Satan. Let me ask you this, brethren. This is a strong congregation, isn't it? I firmly believe that. So let me ask you this. What is the strongest temptation? To a strong Christian. Quote, unquote. What is the biggest temptation to a strong Christian? It's for me to believe that I'm immune to temptation. That I've somehow risen above it. That the devil won't even approach me anymore. That he sees me, I just flex on him. He just slivers off. How arrogant. How untrue. We must all remember that we're all subject to temptations. These things are going to come. Matthew chapter 4 now. Matthew chapter 4, we read about how Satan was brazen enough to slither up to the Savior and the Messiah of all mankind. So how do we think that we're not going to be subject to temptation? To the devil's strongest temptations. He pulled out all his stops against Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 now, starting in verse 1. Right after Jesus had been baptized in the previous chapter, we see him go out to the desert. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, "If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread." But he answered, "It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God." Satan begins by tempting Jesus to break his fast. He he begins by tempting Jesus with physical necessities, things like hunger, pains, physical needs. And he says, "Why don't you just why don't you just violate your purpose here? Why don't you just serve yourself for once why don't you just why don't you just turn these stones into loaves of bread and in a similar way of what he did here satan tempts us he says well instead of serving these other people that are around us instead of doing everything you can to get the gospel out put your work first Put that dollar bill first. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Do everything you can to find money. Scrounge and scrape and go after it and get food, get, get stuff in the fridge. Make sure your kids get to college. Make sure you keep your job. Make sure everything's in line so much that it grinds down our minds until the last thing on our mind is God. That's what Satan will do. That's a temptation that Satan puts forth to us. But Jesus responded. He said, it's written. All I need is, all I need is the things that come from God. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that doesn't work, but satan doesn't give up yet. He's persistent. Do we know that he's persistent? Yes, we do. We know that he's persistent. We know that he keeps coming. He doesn't just leave you alone forever So, verse five now Then the devil took him to the holy city And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are the son of god Throw yourself down for it is written He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands. They will bear you up lest you lest you strike your foot against the stone so satan sees here he's like well tempting Jesus with physical needs and material things is not really a good strategy it's not working out at all so what i'm going to do is i'm going to try to convince Jesus to test out God's faithfulness and i'll add too that it's interesting that he finds the the nerve within himself to quote scripture to the living word of god as though as though that that, that would be something that would slide past him but but no Jesus knew that these quotes these were out of context these were these were ripped and torn and twisted by Satan, as he does. You know, I had a friend call me one time on the phone. He was broken. He was in tears. His life had, had, had fallen apart in a lot of ways. Girlfriend left him. Uh, the rain was coming down, so to speak. Um, the, there was a storm outside, and he went outside, and he said on the phone with me, I mean, keep in mind, this guy's a pretty staunch atheist. He told me he cried out to God and said, God, take this life away from me. Strike me dead here if you're real. He was not stricken dead, but he's, he was attempting to test God. And he did that, no doubt, in a response to a temptation of Satan to test God's faithfulness. That's something that he'll do for us. Satan will tempt us to test God's faithfulness, to doubt that God will fulfill his promises. So Jesus responds perfectly in verse 7. Jesus said to him again, It is written, you shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. Jesus made it plain to Satan that he didn't need some... Big crack of lightning. He didn't need some angel swooping in and picking him up from falling to confirm to him that God was true to his word. All he needed was faith. So then in verses 8 and verse 9, the devil again took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. So Satan's kind of back into a corner here. He doesn't have much left to offer Jesus. He's tried to get him to give give way to physical needs, material needs. He's tried to get him to devalue God the Father. That's not working. So what does he do? He says, I'll give you everything. I'll give you every kingdom. I'll give you full dominion over the entire earthly world. If only you'll be subject to one individual. If only you'll be subject to me. But Jesus did not believe him. Jesus knew that making yourself a slave to the devil is no way to be exalted. He knew that making yourself a slave to the devil and and giving yourself to sin was no way to be lifted up. And so he responds in verse 10 perfectly again. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So we are to follow Jesus in this pattern as well when we meet various temptations. He's with us. We follow in his pattern. That we respond again and again with, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. We go back to the Word, and we do what the Word says to do, and nothing that Satan can do can touch us. We can withstand all of his attacks. And even as we do this, even as we withstand persecution by men, even as we withstand temptations from Satan, we can rest assured that also we will be tried by God himself. We will be tried by God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 now. Humans humans need challenges to grow. We know that. With no obstacles, we feel no need to grow stronger. In in verse 2 through 3 now, sometimes, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 through 3, sometimes these moments come to us, these moments to prove ourselves faithful, they come to us as great, great obstacles that seem insurmountable. We read about here how the Lord led the people of Israel all, all over through the wilderness in order to strengthen their faith in Him and to build that. And you shall remember that the Lord, your God, led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Sometimes in this life. We feel like everything's piling up on us, that there's just this huge mountain of tasks and trials and obstacles that we that are just insurmountable, that cannot be overcome, that cannot be passed. But the Lord, the Lord promises us that he'll be with us through these trials and that that that, that's the key to these trials is that that we take heart and we go with him and we're humbled as he tests us. We can take heart. James chapter one, James chapter one, verses two through four. We can take heart. Why? Because in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, we read about the purpose of trials in our lives. Why are we tried? Why are we tested? James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the purpose of trials. That's why God... Gives us obstacles in our lives to overcome because he wants us to choose him. He wants us to choose him again and again. And he wants to give us opportunities to sharpen up and strengthen up so that when persecution comes and so that when temptations comes, that they just kind of brush off our shoulders. That we're strong enough in the Lord that we can handle these things and that we know what to do because we've been through it with him. We've been down in the gutter with him and we've stood with him in the in the valleys and on the hills. We've been through it all with the Lord. And that's what trials are for, is to remind us, as we travel through the wilderness, that he's there with us the whole time. All these things, persecutions, temptations, and trials, they're for our building up. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verses 3 through 5. I know this sermon's really Bible-heavy, but you've got to be turning with me, y'all. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. This is maybe my favorite verse in the whole Bible, and it just reads like this. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. But... We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. When I'm suffering, I'm going I'm to develop some grit here. Endurance produces character. Okay, now that I'm getting some endurance, I'm starting to build up some good qualities. And character produces hope. Now that I know that I can stand with God and I see the evidence of God working in my life, I have hope. I believe in Him more and more. And hope, hope does not put us to shame because God's love, Has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I'm going to tell you this, brethren. We're going to get through all of these things. The persecution, the temptations, and the trials if we'll remain faithful. It's not going to be easy. But we're going to face these things. We're going to face persecutions because we're living in the light. We're going to face temptations because Satan wants to pull us away from God. And we're going to face these trials so that we can be brought through it. And we're going to be tried to increase our faith because we're going to be led into so much more, so much greater things. We're going to be led into into God's grace. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 now. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. We're going to be exposed to grace. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is being revealed to us. We're going to be exposed to God's grace. If you know the feeling of thirsting for water, if you've ever been out in the heat, if you've ever gone through a hard workout or hard day at work, and you haven't had a drink for a while, and you start feeling your, you know, you feel your mouth start chapping up, you feel start getting irritable, start getting a little tired, start lightheaded. Man, I need to get a drink of water. You finally feel that water hit your tongue for the first drink, it's yes. You make that sound ah so good that's God's grace God promises us deliverance from all these sufferings all these fiery trials he promises us that, us that and he's given us in that so much more than what we deserve now if you're already in Romans just flip back to Romans chapter 5 now Romans chapter 5 in verse 8 but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us while we had committed the very acts, the very sins that led to Jesus' crucifixion and execution, while we had lied, while we had cheated, while we had lusted, while we had stealed, while we had discouraged, while we had disbelieved, while we had doubted, while we had skimped, while we had sacrificed, while we had turned God away, while we had allowed Jesus to receive the punishment of a criminal, he died for us. We did not deserve that. We deserve death. We all know that. The wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all know that. We've all slipped. We've all fallen at one point or another. We're all broken. We need Christ to put us back together. This. This image of Christ. Just taking that sacrifice for us. And bearing the consequence of our sins. What we deserved is the image of God's grace. This is God's great grace poured out to us in the blood of Jesus. It's an out from all the pain that we feel. And in that, we can have great peace. This peace and this comfort, John chapter 16 and verse 33. This peace and this comfort comes from knowing that we're in Christ. These are the words of Jesus here in John chapter 16 and verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. How did Jesus overcome the world? We say that. We say that all the time. Jesus, he overcame the world. He he, he beat it all out. He defeated death. But what does that really mean? That means that he was persecuted. That means that he was tempted. That means that he was tried till the point where he was walked up the hill of Calvary, step for step, dropping the cross, carrying it, dropping it again, suffering, bleeding, groaning, being mocked, being humiliated and whipped, being ultimately pierced through the hands with nails and crowned with the crown of thorns, placed upon the cross for all to see. And he was up there. And what he could have done is he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have called 10,000 angels to obliterate the sinful world that had taken him up to the cross. Can you imagine the restraint by Jesus here? You want to talk about peace? You want to talk about a mind of peace? Imagine having the power to wipe out anyone who ever did violence to you. Imagine having that sort of ability Imagine having the ability to smite anyone who said anything wrong with you, wrong to you. Not even to just kill them, but to just blink them out of existence as though they never were even here. That was the kind of power that God in Jesus Christ wielded. But he stood up there. He took that punishment. And he did that for us. You want to talk about peace? That's a man of peace. And that's the same kind of peace that we can have in our own hearts. That can resolve all of our inner conflicts... Through Jesus alone. Because he ultimately came from heaven. And that is that eternal bliss. And that land of peace to which he desires to guide us to. He lived that human life. And experienced every up and down. Every temptation and every blessing. He walked here to set the path before us. To give us that road map to heaven. That we could see. Christ being ultimately blessed. Left heaven. Left all the glory and all the things that he had up there, and and, and all the light, and all the peace, and all the bliss, to just show us, to just show us that we can do it, that we should be encouraged. He knew. He knew the way of men. He knew the way that people were. He was there, after all, when they erected the golden calf. He was there in heaven. He saw that. He was there when the kingdom divided. He was there during all of the the idolatry and all of the sin sickness of, of the Jewish people up till this point. But he still decided, I'm going to come there and I'm going to be with them and I'm going to show them because there's hope. There's hope for you and there's hope for me. He believed that. He did that to teach us and to show us the path. That's ultimately culminated in his crucifixion and ultimately culminated for us in baptism. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and starting in verse 3. Romans chapter 6 starting in verse 3 down to verse 5. Do you not know that all of us That is our hope there. That is the answer for the faith that is within us. Jesus did it and we can do it too. And he showed us that as we live in Christ, we experience these ups and these downs. We experience the persecution, the temptation, the trial. We experience the grace, the peace and the bliss. We experience all these menagerie of emotions and feelings and experiences. And God in Christ knows all of those things. He was there through all of time. He's there at the beginning. He's going to be there at the end. He's with us through all of it. He was brought to the lowest status that any man could ever be brought to. A criminal executed for all eyes to see, laughed at with a crown of thorns and and pierced through the hands for all of us. And then he was exalted to the highest high that any man could ever achieve, sitting down at the right hand of God. He is truly the Alpha and the Omega in that he is both the suffering servant and the King of Kings. Jesus is the evidence. Of God's existence. Jesus is all that we need. To know that God is with us. He is the perfect picture of love. And the perfect picture of mankind's redemption. He has given that redemption to us. If we'll just do as he commanded. In order to be saved. To believe in him. To repent of our sins. Confess our faith. And be baptized. Uniting ourselves to him in those waters. Following that. We must not abandon him and continue to live faithful unto death. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31 now. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse, verse 31. Because Jesus, he will be with us as long as we will abide with him. We will. He will. He'll show us that. His love will, be, will stay with us and will never depart from us. And, we, and all that we have to do is remain faithful. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Alpha and the Omega. The suffering servant, the King of Kings. He's continually standing with his arms wide open. He's saying, come to me, you who are weary and who are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. That is what he saying. He gave his life for you. He gave his life for all of us. He gave his life for me. And in that, we are charged with remaining faithful to him. Staying by his side and abiding with him. And he will be with us to the end of the ages if we will do that. However, if you would scorn the invitation. If you would turn your face at Christ and say, I know that you have promised to be with me. To the end of the age. If I'll just accept you. And you say I don't want that. He won't make you take his offer. He won't force your hand. But he loves you so much. And I know that Christ wants to see you come forward. I know that I want to see you come forward. I know that everybody in this room is rooting for you to come forward. Brother or sister if you haven't been faithful to the Lord. Now is your time. Now is your time to come forward. We'll we'll pray with you. We'll talk with you. We'll study with you. We'll build you up. You know we will. This is the Lakeside Church of Christ. You know we'll build you up. We all love you here. However, if you've never obeyed the gospel, then Jesus is standing there with open arms to no response. He's waiting for you to come so that He can give you the promises that He's offered, that He's extended out to you. Behold, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Do you want that? If you want that, then come forward now as we stand and as we sing.